0: America. I am not a number. I am a free man. Wiggins, America.
3: The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee.
2: Wiggins. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes.
0: Welcome to Wiggins America.
2: This is Wiggins
3: America with a great hour ahead. Roy, old Roy, is coming in at the end of the hour. We're going to talk books and we're going to talk robots. Guess where that conversation is going to go. Also, in the very next segment, right after this, Smart Approaches to Marijuana's director, Will Jones, is going to be on the show. We're going to talk about Missouri and Illinois in relation to a place like Oregon, hey, this is what it looks like when you have the states being the laboratories of democracy, right? Some go too far, and then everybody goes, oh, that was too far. But is Missouri or is Illinois too far down that road? Well, then we're not Oregon, we'll find out how we can not become Oregon. We can stay away from it. I told you that we were going to talk about John Lovitz in this segment, and I am going to fulfill that promise. Here's the thing. I've been following John Lovitz's Twitter all week. I mean, he has just been on a tear and I love it. And most of it's about Israel and he's exposing things that I wouldn't say nobody else has access to, but sometimes celebrities I don't know, they can get things that other people can't. And I think he's not necessarily doing that, but he's definitely got people who are seeking him out and saying, please share this. And he is. And it's about what happened on October seventh and also things that have happened since October seventh in Israel. Uh, John Lovitz is, of course, Jewish, as far as I know. I mean, I, I say that and now I go, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, yeah, of course he is. He did all the Hanukkah stuff on Saturday Night Live, and he did the the songs on Heuschel, on Shlomo. Remember all that stuff? Well, anyway, um, John Lovitz has been great this week. Maybe it was all leading into this interview that he did with Fox News Digital, which I did not know he was going to do. I've just been following him, and all of a sudden I'm getting people texting me, oh, did you see what John Lovitz just said to Fox News Digital? I said, no, send it over. So I watched that, Um, basically pulling some quotes here. He was, of course, on Saturday Night Live. He said in that interview about late-night comedy and the state of late-night comedy, specifically about Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, and Seth Meyers, he said, I don't like it. I don't like it. They were comedy shows. And now, except for Jimmy Fallon, they've all become very political. And for me, it's just, it's too much. I mean, Johnny Carson, would you know, he would do two or three jokes about whoever was president then or what was going on then, and that was it. But they were entertainment shows. He said, I know all those guys, and they're very nice guys, very talented. I know Seth. I know Stephen Colbert. I know Jimmy Kimmel. I think they're funny, you know. But when they started doing the political stuff, like, so one-sided, it's like... And that's all it is, the whole thing. It's just like, that's not the shows I used to go on. You know, it was The Tonight Show and David Letterman. And Lovitz recalled how during his Letterman-era late show appearances, it was truly a comedy show, but in the talk show format. And how interviews were more structured as a routine, so Letterman could help highlight his guests ahead of the taping. I don't know if you knew that they did that, but they do a lot of prep on those where a lot of times, especially uh, very, very accomplished comedians will basically just do jokes and the host is there to set the joke up for them. I don't know if you knew how much prep went into those. Dana Carvey was always one that you could see the host just basically asking a setup question and then letting Dana do a bit. And now they're not all that way. I actually prefer the ones who aren't, but that's what a lot of them are. And he's saying it's just not like, he's not even enjoying going on those shows when he gets the opportunity anymore. So that's what he was talking about with Fox news digital. Now on his Twitter though, there were some things that I thought I want to share this just because it's it's information and it gets lost in the shuffle. I think a lot of times we get to where we're talking about, you know, who's following who, who's saying what about Palestine, Hamas, about Israel, and we forget what actually happened. I mean, this wasn't that long ago. John Lovitz shared this. And he says, quote, after reading this, I pray Israel wipes out Hamas and frees the Palestinians in Gaza and the Israelis living in fear with these murdering terrorists. Ceasefire F blank, blank, blank. U." Here's the tweet that he shared that he said that about Martina Medvin is the source of this. She says, Palestinian terrorists didn't just rape women. She says, in this instance, at least one instance, a woman was tied to a bed, raped, and then a knife stuck in her vagina and all of her internal organs cut out. This is the kind of stuff that we really can't forget in the midst of this war. This is some of the most brutal terrorism we've ever seen in our lives. Hopefully it's some of the most brutal terrorism we will ever have seen in our lives because it is animalistic and disgusting. And for people in America, this is, this is where I'm amazed that we've gotten that there should be no moral ambiguity about this. Why would you ever support Hamas or even support systems that support Hamas? But we've gotten to a place where our morals are so cloudy that there are some people, and it's not a huge percent, but it is a percentage of people in America are now outspoken about their support for these things and a lot of times they may not even know what they're supporting and that's why i share that not to be gruesome but because they think it's important quick break right back with smart solutions smart approaches
2: to marijuana
0: call from mom answer it call silenced
2: instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails.
2: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?
3: Well, happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. I hope it's been great so far and continues to be great. Uh, Director of Community Engagement and Outreach for Smart Approaches to Marijuana, Will Jones, is on the phone with us. We've had you on, Will. I think it was almost exactly a year ago. How's it going?
0: I'm doing all right. Glad to be back on. Thanks for having me.
3: So I saw an article pop up from the Wall Street Journal about Oregon. Now, I am nowhere near Oregon, and most people listening to us right now are in either Illinois or Missouri, so we're not exactly well-versed in the laws of Oregon. But they made news with their uh, decriminalization of all drugs in, I think it was 2020. Well, the Wall Street Journal is now reporting that there is a massive backlash against that law because... Surprise, surprise, drug drug use has just run rampant. I don't know if you're following this, but if you are, could you tell us a little bit more?
0: Yeah, we're definitely following what's happening there. And as you said, drug use has increased uh, substantially in Oregon. And to, as, as you said, to a certain extent, it didn't come as a surprise. Um, what Oregon did with their decriminalization law was uh in we view it as really irresponsible in the way that they went about it the treatment um, the um so many programs for people that would have that would develop problems nothing was in place they just said essentially people could do whatever drugs they want to do without consequences and we've seen i mean there was an article that just came out in the ap two days ago that their fentanyl crisis there um is is just is getting out of hand um in in, interestingly enough, it, people now in Oregon are wanting to uh, reverse that that um, that law that was that was passed that decriminalized all drugs, and so we're working actually there in Oregon with people at the grassroots level to kind of help put. Uh, reverse that law so we're going to see what happens with that but it's just like you said drug use has increased no surprise uh people are seeing the consequences and people aren't liking it
3: well this is kind of a test i mean this is oregon has gone further as far as i know than any other state has with the legalization i should say decriminalization of all drugs what now is the solution for them that you're working on
0: so it would definitely be um, pulling back um, measure uh, 110 um, which is the measure that was passed that uh, decriminalized drugs there um, and again having a more responsible policy with drugs we don't want to encourage people you know our drug policies that we have we don't want to encourage people to use to use drugs on um, that uh, as we're seeing in Oregon can increase substance abuse that can increase People um, that are struggling with uh, with uh, abuse problems, uh, this is not helpful when there's kind of a, uh, a a encouraging atmosphere around drug use, which is what you know how Measure 110 has gone down in Oregon, and so we definitely want to see Measure 110 uh, repealed uh, in something uh, that would be uh, instead have laws that would be more um, that would discourage drug use uh, more more.
3: Yeah. Well, I think when I read this article from Wall Street Journal, it just, to me, was a harbinger of, hey, look, this is what could happen. And it, it really brought to mind the interview that you and I did last year at about this time, because you guys look all over the country and, and you say, well, this state has done this. If you do that, you will probably have the same outcomes, you know, because everybody's doing this kind of in different orders and, and different ways. So when I thought, well, that's what Oregon's dealing with. They're dealing with Tremendous buyer's remorse over this decriminalization law for all drugs. So I thought, well, Will, you'd know a little bit more about where we're at in both Illinois and Missouri. You know, Missouri just passed the the amendment. I think it was last year, the year before, that uh, that legalized all marijuana in the state of Missouri. And I got to tell you personally, uh, where I'm standing right now, there's somebody in this building because this is a multi floor building that we're in in St Louis. You know, somewhere below my feet or above my head, there is a resident in this building that now has decided, well, now that it's legal, I'm going to smoke pot all day, every day, and everybody else just has to deal with that. <laughs> like, like, these are the things that I didn't even think would be a ramification of passing these laws. But where is Missouri? We'll start with there. Um, as far as where you guys are working and and where you think we're headed in Missouri.
0: Um. Missouri, you know, as we're seeing this, not just Missouri, but states across the country, we're seeing a lot of states that are, you know, moving down the road of uh, recreational, uh, full uh, recreational legalization of marijuana. And that's the first step for uh, people. Uh, and, and I should, uh, l- let me be clear here. There's some people that have a broader agenda of decriminalizing and Even potentially legalizing all drugs. That is, some of the organizations that have advocated for marijuana legalization and that have worked to change uh, marijuana policies, their broader aim that they do not hide is the legalization of all drugs. There are, um, you know, that's an open, stated objective of some organizations out there. Um, I think some people, though, when they're voting for, um, you know, as we've seen in states that have voted for marijuana legalization, their concern is primarily just they don't want anyone to have an, a, an arrest record or go to jail for smoking a joint. Right. And so um, these these organizations with broader aims in terms of uh, decriminalization of all drugs and potentially legalization of all drugs, they've taken advantage of uh, people's. uh desire to see a different approach to marijuana policy and they've really i think exploited that to push drug laws a lot farther and more extreme than anybody really wanted or imagine which is what you're seeing uh in missouri and uh especially in illinois um as well uh, you mentioned that um and we're seeing increased use. I don't think it should come as a surprise, but we're seeing it as increased use in marijuana use, and especially among like young people in states that have legalized uh, that have legalized marijuana. And that's because we have such a massive uh, proliferation of stores and of commercialization of advertisements. Uh, you know, on whether that on uh, the social media advertisements, whether that's billboards um, and other things like that, um, we're seeing increases in, in, in almost every state that's legalized. Um, and so I think that's what we're seeing uh, definitely in Illinois and also as well, beginning in Missouri.
3: Yeah, Will, last time I talked to you, you made a very important distinction and 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 I've, I've really held on to that because I thought that's a very smart, it's a smart approach to marijuana. Lo and behold, that's the name of your organization. Um, you guys Make a distinction between legalization and decriminalization of marijuana for the reasons that we've now seen in both of these states that I sit on the border of, of Illinois and Missouri here, that it becomes, instead of just, oh, the, the dude who wanted to smoke a joint on New Year's Eve, it becomes a giant industry with now lobbyists and all this money in it once it becomes legal that it's, it's really hard to, to put the genie back in the bottle with
0: a hundred percent. And while we're seeing a lot more buyer's remorse with decriminalization of all drugs in Oregon, um, and again, we're working to uh, push back measure 110 there. Uh, when it comes to marijuana uh, commercialization, you have such a big lobby. Uh, we have big tobacco companies. Um, some of the top, you know, like uh, Altria, the parent uh, company. Of Marlboro um, uh, has invested billions of dollars into the cannabis uh, industry. We have Heineken, uh, Molson Coors, Blue Moon, Corona. All of these top alcohol and tobacco companies have invested uh, into the cannabis industry. And so, this it's really hard once a state has gone down this road uh, to push that back because, just like you said, the lobbyists that are in play. Um, just like we see with, you know, big farmer, we saw with big tobacco in the past, uh, once they're able to kind of get their foothold, it's kind of hard to to push back against that. But what we are seeing is increases when you have massive commercialization and glamorization of a substance, right? Naturally use increases in cannabis use disorder is rising in states that have legalized, uh, which is a huge, huge concern, mental health cases, crisis uh, from some of these high Products that is increasing as well. Something that we're looking at and following, as well as a lot of families. And in, in, we're actually working with parents across the, the country that are seeing this. But parents that have had kids that have committed suicide uh, because of their cannabis use, and cannabis it interacts with your brain in a you know much different way than say alcohol um, or nicotine. It 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 has uh, particularly when people start at a young age, mental uh, health issues uh, abound with use of that and that's something that we're seeing um and again that's very different when you're talking about marijuana than just saying if someone has a joint we're not going to prosecute that uh legalization and commercialization which is what missouri and illinois have done says okay well you can have the stores you can have the advertisements you can have um, you know you can promote it you can have different types of advertisements etc and that's a far cry from just saying if you, you know, if you happen to have a joint, we're going to look the other way. Yeah.
3: So do you at Smart Approaches to Marijuana, are you t- counseling with parents? I mean, what is your role then if a parent has had an issue with their kid or, you know, God forbid suicide happen? what is your role there with a parent?
0: So we are not a, we're not, you know, we're not an intervention or, or treatment organization. Uh, we do, you know, I, we do connect people at times to, um, to, to, those resources uh if we come across you know as someone that's in need of that but our primary role is really to elevate the voice to to bring these stories to public awareness to bring these stories before legislators um and so when there is a parent um that has lost a child to um suicide from cannabis use um or in some cases parents have lost kids uh to people driving under the influence of marijuana that's something that's also significantly increased in states of legalized, so uh, like fatalities from people driving under the influence have more than doubled in places like Washington and Oregon and other places like that. So oftentimes when a parent loses their child tragically in a way like that, they have a real mission uh, and passion to share their story so that it doesn't happen to other parents, to other families, to other kids. And so that's where anyone that's looking to tell their story to kind of amplify that story is. Um, we are um, working with them, partnering with them to bring their voice to the national level to say what's actually happening, what it looks like when a state commercializes uh, marijuana and the impact that that can have on youth.
3: Will, if somebody is listening to us talking about this right now and they either are in that situation or they know somebody who is or they just want to connect with you otherwise and uh, hear about some of those resources, where do you want them to go?
0: Go to www.learnaboutsam.org and and reach out to, you know, just shoot us an email from there. Contact is available from there. And we're definitely, again, looking to uh, partner with anyone that's kind of gone, uh, seen the unfortunate uh, consequences of of these policies. Uh, We want to help anyone that's trying to get their story out there. So go to www.learnaboutsam.org and get in touch with us.
3: Sam being short for smart approaches to marijuana, smart approaches to marijuana. Will, thank you so much for your time and your continued work. And uh, hopefully we can catch up again soon.
0: Thanks so much, Ryan. Appreciate it.
3: We are going to talk about writing coming up next. I know it's not a topic we typically talk a whole lot about on this show, but it's Thanksgiving weekend, a little bit of a break from the normal. We'll do that next here on Wiggins America.
1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. ctmobile.com it's
3: This is a good time to talk about this over this holiday weekend. Welcome to it. Glad you're here, Wiggins America. Uh, this is a list of advice to aspiring writers. Have you ever wanted to write a book, it's actually easier than ever. I got a book myself. It's called The Life of Human. I don't know that I ever would have gotten that book published if it weren't nowadays. I had an agent and all this stuff and never got a book published and thought, forget it. We're just going to do it the way that everybody does it now, which is through Amazon and Ingram Spark and stuff like that. Message me on Twitter, by the way, if you're interested in doing this and you don't know how, I can put you in touch with some people who, or I can put you in touch with even websites that would point you in the right direction on how to do this. So if you are an aspiring writer, I think you'll be interested in this. If not, if you're just a reader or a consumer of media, this may apply to you too. It's Kurt Vonnegut's advice for writing. And I always put Kurt Vonnegut in this category of people who, you know their names, uh, you might know a couple things by them, and they're good, but never really go back and seek it out. That's for me anyway. That's like Radiohead, the band. I I like Radiohead. I like a couple songs by them for sure. I think they're good. Never really have a desire to listen to them. You know, I don't don't ever pull out a Radiohead CD. I don't even know if I have any Radiohead CDs. I don't know know if I have any uh, Vonnegut books either. I've never really sought out more Vonnegut. I do have one, one short story that I love by him called Harrison Bergeron. I think it starts something like, the year was 2087, and everyone was, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone was finally equal. So, it, And it's a farce. It's, it's a story about how everybody in the world had finally achieved equality, and a guy's sitting alone in his apartment eating some crap, and he turns on the TV, and he's watching a beautiful ballerina on the TV, and she's weighted down with all of her arms and legs by birdshot. Because if she were to dance as gracefully as she could, that might offend people who couldn't dance as gracefully as her. It's a great story. It's called Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut. Here's his his advice for writing. Use the time of a total stranger, as in the person who's reading your stuff, in such a way that he or she will not feel the time was wasted. Good advice. Number two, give the reader at least one character he or she can root for. So you can't make all your characters nasty, awful people. (laughs) Although in Harrison Bergeron, I really can't think of a protagonist. (laughs) Actually, at the very end... I think there's a guy that busts into their studio and is trying to tell everybody that equality is not actually achievable or something like that. Maybe he's the guy you root for in that story. Uh, Every character should want something, even if it's only a glass of water, even if they just don't, they don't really have any huge desires, but they want something. They have to have a motivation is what he's saying. Number four, every sentence must do one of two things in what you write, reveal character or advance the action. I got to say, I don't know if I agree with all of that because I put a lot of nonsense in my stuff. If you've ever read The Life of Human, you'll know that most characters are driving, moving characters. And then some are there to basically make your eyes roll. Number five, start as close to the end as possible. As in, you don't have to fill out the whole world, find the point of the story, start right before it, and tell it. Number six, be a sadist. No matter how sweet and innocent your leading characters are, make awful things happen to them in order to see what they're made of. That's interesting. Number seven, write to please just one person. If you open a window and make love to the world, so to speak, your story will get pneumonia. So he's not advocating that your audience be enormous. He's advocating actually that you are writing for a very, very particular, specific audience. You know, a lot of this can be applied to really anything you do, even what I'm doing right now. Number eight, give your readers as much information as possible, as soon as possible, to hell with suspense. Readers should have such complete understanding of what is going on, where and why, that they could finish the story themselves should cockroaches eat the last few pages. That is the one piece of advice that I do disagree with him on. I think if you give everything away, see there's something called the hermeneutic code. I'm gonna go into some deeper writing stuff here. The hermeneutic code would suggest that you need to constantly be asking, ooh, why, 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 why is this character doing this? I don't always know. There's mystery. You're kind of unfolding the mystery as it goes. Even if it's something very plain, a person has broken down the side of the road and they gotta fix their tire well, why is it taking them so long? Why isn't anybody stopping? There's some mystery you're building, you know, things like that. To me, that drives a story, blowing your wad at the beginning of the story. I think that's terrible advice, but Hey, I'm no Kurt Vonnegut. I can tell you one thing though, that writing, the reason I even bring this up, writing is like politics. You may wonder how, well, how Ryan writing is like politics Because the solutions are far too easy at times. And when your job is to do things like this, talk about politics, talk about life in general, because it's not just politics, uh, it can be a little bit too easy at times to say, well, I've got the solution. (laughs) Shouldn't we discuss this more, Ryan? Well, no, but I got the solution. I actually came across this when I was in writing. I, I was a creative writing minor in college And I found myself uh, wanting to get to the end of the story too fast because I always knew what the end was. So I almost had to start building out stories that I didn't know how they ended because I would get there too fast. And that's actually how I write now is that I have a general idea of where it's going, but I don't exactly know where it's going. I, I have to let it play out a bit. Therefore, I'm interested in it the whole time because if I am writing it, I'm not interested in it. Then you, the reader would definitely not be interested in it if you're bored and getting there. So I got to tell a story, but the problem I came across was to me, I became a a Christian in college. So during my creative writing minor and all these classes I was taking, They would ask you, you know, ask the deep questions. Maybe you don't quite get to the answer. You know, do all of this like slow reveal kind of stuff. Dive in deep. Stuff that's good. But I was like, but there's an answer to all of these questions. It's Christ. You know, it's Jesus. (laughs) And I find the same thing now to be true of politics. That a lot of times when we dive into these big issues... This is why I thought this would be a good one to talk about this weekend as we take a little bit of a breather, you know, holiday weekend. But a lot of these deep issues we dive into, and I say this all the time, the, the political is is the surface, but then one step removed, downstream from politics is culture, or I should say culture, is uh, ahead of politics, as in politics is downstream from culture, but then go b- beyond that or deeper than that, and you find that spirituality and morality is really the root of culture, and that's the root of politics. So we come to conclusions about politics or or issues that we're having in the world or our country based on the worldview we already have, which comes from spirituality or lack thereof. So when I approach a lot of these political discussions, I just want to get right to the point and go, wow, these people just need God. (laughs) It's not always quite as easy as that, but... So many times it is. And so I I love this weekend because it is a weekend where oftentimes we get together as a family, or in this case, we already did. Um, Even before Thanksgiving, we had our Thanksgiving a little early. Uh, There's a prayer that's said over the family, and it kind of like re-centers everybody. It's almost like we need that as a nation, don't we? We need to re-center around just a, a common prayer that we can say as a nation i was going to talk about with you old roy uh having human workers versus robot workers but we just did that last week Mm -hmm. i'm not going to do that again Uh, but this this headline really leads to that we don't have to do a long segment here we probably shouldn't because we don't have a ton of time bill gates says every human will soon have a robot who works on their behalf bill gates is a moron Bill Gates, billionaire, entrepreneur, and co-founder of Microsoft, thinks a big change is coming in the next five years. Now, I got to appreciate when somebody puts a timeline on it, Mm -hmm. because if you say, well, climate change is going to kill us all, but you say it's going to happen by 2030, (laughs) then then I can test you. He thinks we will all basically have robot assistants and he is saying that this is going to be a little bit less like a less like a golden retriever kind of character like a little robot that does things for you and a little bit more like HAL 9000 so it exists almost more in the cloud which i'm very disappointed in because as a person who wrote a book about robots that help people Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a fiction book called The Life of Human, which is a fantastic Christmas gift idea. Oh, yeah. It's a great book. Which you can, I mean, you can go speak to that. I'll give you a couple minutes. Go ahead.
1: <laughs>
3: it's a great book. Go buy it. Oh, my gosh. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were going to go so long. Yeah. Um, yeah, The Life of Human is all about this topic, so I don't even know. I, I didn't think we'd get there out of this. <laughs>
1: <Funny> <laughs> but how that lo,
3: lo and behold... Um, but it is—I mean—highly rated on Amazon and stuff. But it does that none of that matters. The point <laughs> is the story, um, that he thinks that we will all have these personal assistants that are kind of AI. I think AI is a little bit overused of a term because you're talking about just increased technology. <clears throat> that I don't know when it becomes AI. Does it have to be sentient? <laughs> like, right. when, at what point do you go? Well, that's just better technology right. versus. Oh no, that's AI. Uh, but he says HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey is probably a little bit more what it will look like. I'm picturing either on your phone or you walk in your house, you can just say, Hey, turn the temperature up, turn the lights on, whatever. And that stuff's going to be so fully automated that you really don't have to think about basic stuff.
1: We already have it. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the, the headline, obviously, is going to be designed to get your eyes clickbait or whatever. But. Yeah, I I mean if you could make the argument we're already there. I mean you got you've got Siri, you've got the all the Google and Amazon everybody's doing it. You can completely automate your house. Everybody's got a phone and you can you're basically you're not thinking anymore because you've set reminders for everything. You don't have to ever read a map or know where you're going because you just put in yeah, the directions. And so we're already there, and it's already destroying society. <laughs> is so it? Is I, it? I think it is. I why? Think we're we're on a downward slide because it makes you dumber. Yeah. Nobody has to think. It's it's, you know, I've got kids in their twenties, and they're they're incapable of going anywhere, even places they've been to a hundred times, <laughs> without getting in the car and putting on maps. Man, I hate to
3: say it, but I kind of do that now. You know what though? It's anywhere I've been before I use maps, I'm fine with. Mm-hmm. But once I started using it, then I have to use it to get there every time now. Yeah. I don't know. I I I, uh, I agree. It's 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 back to the same trust issue for me. If Bill Gates is saying it, I'm going. Err. But if somebody I trusted said it to me. Like, if a buddy of mine said, hey, I'm developing this technology and it's really going to change the way you do blank, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. It's my buddy. I trust that guy. It's all about the person saying it with so many of these things to me.
1: Yeah, I I don't like Bill Gates at all. I never have. Um, I think he's a dangerous person because he's got money and stupid ideas. <laughs> but... But I don't. That doesn't weigh into this for me. I think we're already there. The the genie's been let out of the bottle. We, what we need is someone with some temperance to step forward and say, "You can't go back." As much as I would like to go back to the eighteen hundreds, my childhood, mm-hmm. you can't do it. It's technology's there. We need to figure out how to live with it. But somebody has to step up and say let's not have it do everything for us mm-hmm. let's start instilling in our young people a work ethic again or it's, you know, you the know, ability for critical yeah. thinking and all of these things we're just that's how we need to react to some them, of those things
3: seem like they they could exist separate from like these they're two different issues mm-hmm. but they do blend for yeah. sure yeah. i think covid sped a lot of these things up i'm not going to cite who i was talking to about this but um Schools have become more difficult because of tech, and I'm not just talking about tech in school. I'm talking about tech out of school, mm. because kids don't have to think. Right? They can do everything by just saying it. They don't even have to like punch it in to a computer anymore. Right? You just say it out loud. Just go, "Hey uh, Siri, how many uh, weeks does a kangaroo gestate its young?" Well, I, I, it's just going to tell you, you know, right. you don't have to think, you don't have to remember anything. You know, I think that's the thick key is that because you're talking about with the maps, you you really don't even have to like store information in your brain anymore. Right. You know that it exists so easily that you've decided maybe not on purpose, but you have made a decision subconsciously that this information isn't valuable enough for me to keep. Yeah, so no, as I'm, long as you
1: know where to get it.
3: Yeah, I know where to get it, so I don't have to keep this information. So it's almost like you're not working the muscle anymore, mm-hmm. and those who are – going here's what kind of worries me. The people who are going to work that muscle, they're going to be like the the above-ground people in the time machine, yeah. <laughs> and everybody else is going to be the below-ground people just grunting out work, although in that movie, actually, the above-ground people were just as stupid, so that was a bad example. Uh, but I think you know terrible. what I mean. Yeah. Like, you're going to have, like, the elites – who are going to be running everything because they've used the the brain muscle. And then 95% of all people just being like, oh, well, what's on tonight? Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe we're already there and maybe we've always been there too, you know? Well, yeah, I don't think we're going in the right direction on it. We'll say I'll say that much. Yeah, I I'm popping the question on you right at the end here. Will, will you marry? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sounded like I was going there, so I had to. Uh, This is a big question. Every era that you look at within our lifetime and beyond has been, especially in the arts and, you know, the speed of communications and things like that, has been the golden era of something. Mm -hmm. But you never know it when you're in it. Yeah. You know? And so I've been thinking about lately, and if you don't have an answer to this question because I'm popping it so quickly, it's fine. But what is the golden era that we're in right now? Any thoughts about that before we close? Uh, we we are definitely in the golden era of stupid. <laughs> people are going to look back on this and being like, "Man, those people were stupid." Exactly. But you
1: just said we're getting dumber, so comparatively, we'll be smart right now. Eventually, the pendulum will swing back. Okay, and and those people will look back and say, "I can't believe how stupid those people were in that golden." <laughs> I era don't know
3: who's who to anymore. I will say that I think that if I had to pin it. If I had to, I'd say we're in the golden era of convenience tech because we're still able to use all these things conveniently, but we can still think and we still are using them kind of in ways that do just benefit us in the moment. But eventually that stuff's going to be weaponized against us. Yeah. And we're not quite there yet, although we're getting close. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? So socials have already been there. Maybe we've pulled it back a little bit, but we've been there. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we're looking back maybe on now or maybe just before now and saying, yeah, there was a sweet spot there where we had a lot of conveniences and nobody was really like bullying us with them or destroying our lives or manipulating us yet. Yet. That's the key word. We'll stop there. This has been Wiggins America. One last book shout out. If you, if you need to, do you
1: need to? Oh yeah. It's been bursting out of me to, uh, to get, uh, the uh, the book written by our very own wiggins do you remember the title it is called uh, <laughs> the
3: adventure of yeah you're you're on the right track yeah the adventures human y- it has yep. something to do with human yep the life of human you were life right there life of human yeah great book roy's read it cover to cover but I, not not the cover i didn't read the cover you just read the the bu- the book the inside yeah. yeah yeah you always have trouble with the title
1: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
2: All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?